0: Welcome to the house podcast. We want to encourage you wherever you're at today. Reach out or email us at any time, and we hope you enjoy today's message. It's good to be with you. Good morning. Welcome here to the house. Matt's barometer of a good youth event is if someone gets injured, and I'm sure there's going to be someone injured, some kid who gets injured at the Amazing Race, it's always a good time at youth. Um, not actually, not seriously, but, but kind of. Um, it's, it's good to be with you. I'm excited to uh, open up and begin a new series, just kind of a short series, uh, three weeks. Over the next three weeks, we're going to be uh, looking at this series that we're calling Generous Life. And um, over the past number of months, uh, our pastoral team, we've been kind of taking a fresh look at our, our, our kind of the big ideas behind the house, kind of our, our mission, our vision, our values. Um, those are things that you, you maybe don't always see or hear on a Sunday morning, but they're kind of like the engine that sort of drives where we're going as a community. And um, over the past number of months, and even longer than that, we've been kind of revamping and taking a fresh look at our values because our our church has grown and shifted and changed and we're not the same church that we were 10 years ago and and some things have stayed the same and some things have changed and so as we looked and and kind of looked at our values in particular there were some that we kept some that were um very kind of core to our community and what makes us us and what makes us the house and some that we tweaked and changed and edited a little bit and some that we added and one of the values that sort of rose to the surface as we talked about what kind of community we want to be, not, not what kind of pastors or leaders we want to be, but what kind of community as a whole we want to be going forward. We came up with this one statement in particular I want to just kind of bring your attention to is this statement, we value whole life generosity. Whole life generosity, Uh, I'm I'm well aware that for many, if not all of us in the room, when you hear the word generosity, you immediately think of your finances. You're like, here we go, another message on giving, tithing. You're tuning me out already, I can feel it. That's an important thing. We talk about, you know, giving financially, being generous with your finances quite often. It's an important part of our faith and our church. Um, We literally wouldn't be here without you giving financially. We don't have a line of credit. We rely on your generosity, and that's an important part of what it means to be generous. And Jesus talked a lot about our finances, about money. And the Bible talks a lot about our finances and our money. And so it's an important topic. But the truth is, that's only one small aspect of what it means to be generous, what it means to live a generous life. And you could tithe 5, 10, 15, 25% if you really want the brownie points and want to support our church. Please do, um, we'll take it. Um, but yet, you, you might actually have a heart that is closed off to your friends or your neighbors or to a person in need. And so giving generously with your finances is important, but when we envision what kind of community we want to grow into, what kind of community we want to invite you to be going forward, it's a community that is generous in every way. Jesus doesn't want to just make us people who are generous with our money, though I think, to be clear, he does want to do that. Jesus wants to make us into people who are generous in every way, who live generous lives. Generous people who live generous lives. And so for the next three weeks, we're gonna be looking at what it means to live a generous life. And we're actually not gonna be talking about money at all. So you can just like breathe, just like I can feel the tension. Uh, there's no secret love offering that I'm going to like spring at the last second. Um, we're we're going to park the, the, the finances topic just for a minute. Not because it's not important, again, but because sometimes our view of generosity is so narrow that it needs to be expanded. And so we hope that you kind of catch a vision, um, Jesus' vision, for what it means to be generous people who live generous lives. And today I want to speak about what it looks like to be generous with your home. Look with me at Luke 19 uh, as we turn to scripture. In fact, as we do that, why don't we pray? God, thank you for your word to us. Thank you, God, for who you are to us. You're a generous God. And we just begin there this morning. As we think about this series and what it means to be generous people, God, we begin there as we sang about this morning that you, you are good in every way. You've been good and and faithful towards us. And so we just rest. As we enter into your word this morning, we rest with that in mind. Come and speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 19, 1 to 10 says this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Short people problems. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Think with me, over the last couple of years, two, three years, think with me about who you have spent the most time with. What kind of people have you spent the most time with? What kind of people frequent your home or your dinner table? I imagine if you're anything like me, uh, there are people who are somewhat similar to you. They maybe think similarly to you. They maybe have some sort of affinity to you, a shared interest, maybe the same demographic or stage of life. People who are similar to us in some ways. And one of the things that has happened, one of the trends over the last couple of years has been kind of a a revealing. Uh, The pandemic and COVID kind of revealed a lot of things for better or for worse. It kind of revealed people's views and opinions on all sorts of topics and opinions. And this, along with kind of the, the political tension that we've felt in the last couple of years, both here in Canada as well as with our friends down south across the border, along with more time spent on social media and reading news and all of that, has created a kind of anxious and tense environment. Do you feel that? Like people are just kind of on edge. There's just a, there's like people's margin for grace is small. There's a small capacity there. A study from this year in Canada revealed that 75% of Canadians believe our country has become more polarized over the past year. About 40% of those surveyed uh, uh, have reduced, this is interesting 40% of those surveyed said they have reduced contact with friends or family. Over an argument about the pandemic or politics. 40%. Okay, so if Aunt Judy is not returning your calls, uh, she doesn't want to hear about your pandemic theories. Um, Hate to break the news to you. Uh, She's tired of, you know, talking about it or politics or whatever it is. The past two years have been hard. They've kind of separated many people, kind of isolated us into corners a little bit. They've not only revealed our divisions, they've kind of widened them. And this kind of polarization, as you know, is like fuel for um, the, the realm of politics in particular. It's kind of like a tool that many politicians use to sort of stoke our fear for the other, whoever that is for you, whether that's, you know, woke progressive liberals or anti-vaxxers or immigrants or whoever it is, depending on who you listen to and who you read. There is just no shortage of people that we are invited and kind of pushed to to other, to remove ourselves from to isolate ourselves from and all of this pushes us into little silos where we think and live with people who think just like us in the u.s there's this thing called uh, the big sort maybe you've heard of it essentially the political tension and divide and division in in the u.s has reached such an extreme that people are literally moving to sometimes moving across the country to live in a state that shares their political views by and large, or a city or even a neighborhood that, that kind of they all sort of think the same way politically because, because they just cannot coexist in the same city or neighborhood or state. People are clustering together, which has some benefits for you as the individual, but only serves to increase the polarization across The country, the division and hatred run so deep for so many, they literally cannot live together in the same city, in the same neighborhood, in the same state. And we tend to think that this kind of division and polarization is maybe unique to our context or unique to this kind of moment that we're in. But the truth is, the first century world that Jesus entered into in his ministry was much more polarized and divided than the world we live in today. And for a first-century Jew living under Roman oppression, the most hated people group of all would have been the tax collectors. For a first-century Jew, it was a tax collector like Zacchaeus that you hated the most. We don't know much about Zacchaeus, but we know a few things. Uh, We know that he was the chief tax collector. He was wealthy. He was well-off and my favorite detail, he was short. <laughs> Don't you love the storytelling? Like we just get that detail right in there, like, yeah, he was also pretty short. Tax collectors in that day were considered traitors. They were, they were, uh, if there's anyone you hated the most, it was tax collectors. They were corrupt. One of the biggest forms of oppression that the Jewish people faced living under Roman rule and authority was economic oppression. So imagine, like, The Jews had this area, this land that they believed God had promised to them in particular. And Rome had come and conquered their land. And now they were living in submission to a foreign government and foreign ruler in Caesar. And the the people were forced to pay taxes uh, to an extraordinary level. Some scholars suggest that the tax rate at the time was 80%. So you thought like the carbon tax was bad. We're talking 80%, okay? And a tax collector made their living by adding a fee on top of the already high tax rate and kind of taking that and pocketing, it, pocketing that for themselves. And so they could demand, you pay a ridiculously high tax rate and you had no leverage because you were under their authority. They had, a, they had Roman soldiers at their back. There was no negotiating. There was no leverage point there because they were in control. And so you can imagine the contempt people had, the disdain people had for tax collectors at that time. And Zacchaeus was the worst of them because he was a chief tax collector. He oversaw the whole operation, and the text says he was wealthy. The text says that Jesus was just passing through Jericho. Almost as though to say he, he had no intention of stopping. He was passing through Jericho, but when Jesus notices Zacchaeus up in the tree, he has a change of plans. He says that Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Don't you love it when someone volunteers you? When someone invites themselves over? Like if I did this after, after church today and I'm just, we're having a casual conversation, I'm like, you know, what are you guys doing for lunch? Oh, we're going back home, we're gonna have some sandwiches. And I just look you right in the eye and say, I must come and eat your sandwiches today. Like, you'd be like, back off, okay, cool it. Get your own sandwiches. This is kind of a strange story, right? About generosity in particular, isn't it? Like, in, in many respects, in this story, Jesus is playing two roles. He's playing the guest. He goes to be the guest of Zacchaeus. But he he, he also plays the role of host. Because Zacchaeus doesn't make the invitation. Zacchaeus is just up in the tree. Jesus is the one who makes the invitation. He plays both the the host and the guest. And by inviting himself over into Zacchaeus' home, all the people, and Zacchaeus as well, knew that there was something bigger going on than just coming for dinner or staying the night. Because to stay in someone's home, to eat a meal with someone, was an intimate act. It it was a sign of friendship and communion and, and intimacy. To eat with someone, it's, we get this great imagery all throughout scripture of Kind of a, a banquet table, a great feast. If you notice that, Old and New Testament, there's this picture of a banquet table. And it actually is a picture of salvation. It means more than just food, it, it, it's representing a sign of intimacy and communion and friendship. Time and time again, we get this, this image of God as a generous host who makes room at his table for us, for the marginalized, for the broken, for the downcast, for the sinner. And when Jesus teaches on generosity, he almost always talks about the dinner table. So by extending this invitation to Zacchaeus, by inviting himself over, Jesus was extending friendship and intimacy to Zacchaeus. He's inviting Zacchaeus into his life, even though he's the one going into Zacchaeus's home. And this is why the people are so upset. Did you notice that in the text? Like The people are upset at what Jesus does. Like, we don't really care who kind of goes to which home, like where you kind of eat or where you stay there. The people are upset with Jesus. It says, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Jesus wasn't supposed to eat with tax collectors like Zacchaeus. They were at the very bottom of the social ladder for a Jewish person. And John Mark Comer makes this point that when we read a story like this, uh, we think it's kind of cool or cute That like Jesus ate with the tax collector and the sinner and the the prostitute. And and that's true, he did. We think it's cool or cute, but for that day and that time, those people would have thought it was offensive. You did not eat with a person like that. It wasn't cool or cute. It was offensive. Yet in this story, with Jesus' invitation, we get a picture of God's generosity towards us. We get a picture of God's radical generosity towards us. And any conversation about living a generous life must begin here, with the generosity of God towards us. Because in so many ways, the invitation Zacchaeus receives is the same invitation that God gives to us. I must come and stay with you. you open your heart to me. In so many ways, God makes room at his table for us sinners, tax collectors, and us as well. This is where we begin. Living a generous life begins by encountering a generous God. That's where we begin by recognizing and receiving the generosity of God towards us, by recognizing that there's a seat at God's table for you and I. And notice what happens in this story. The generosity of Jesus transforms Zacchaeus entirely. He starts giving away all of his stuff. He starts paying back people he's, he's stolen from. He starts giving to the poor. And he goes above and beyond what was required. The law in that time required you pay back 1.2 times what you took. So like what you took plus some. You paid kind of an interest because you stole something. And Zacchaeus says, I'll give back four times the amount. Like he goes over and above what was required. And I want you to see that this isn't an isolated event in the life of Jesus. This isn't kind of a one-off story where Jesus just happens to notice Zacchaeus and kind of stay with him and eat with him. Eating in homes was central to Jesus' ministry. He, he had a reputation for being a glutton and a drunkard. Think about that. Jesus' reputation amongst the people was that he was a glutton and a drunkard. You do not get that reputation by accident. He, he spent time with people eating in their homes, around tables. Robert Karras says this, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. Like if you just trace his life, he's just, there's always a meal involved. He didn't just give people new ideas or new teaching or theology to kind of learn and absorb. He gave people his very presence in homes and around tables and it was his presence with them that transformed enemies into friends and friends into family. It was his presence around dinner tables, the conversations that radically transformed people's lives. The churchy word for this kind of practice, this kind of generosity, is the word hospitality. The Greek word translated for hospitality in the Bible is philoxenia, which is a compound word combining philo or philo meaning love and xenia meaning stranger. So literally the love of the stranger or the love of the other, the love of a guest. The early church took Jesus' example of hospitality and they adopted it. They modeled it. They made it their own as well. We get these great texts. 1 Peter 4:9 says, "Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling." Or Romans 12:13, which says, "Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality." Or Hebrews 13:2, which says, "Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers." Here's the point. Living a generous life means having a generous home. It means having a generous table. It means making room in your home, around your table, and in your life for the other, for the outsider, for other people. Because around the table, enemies become friends who then become family. It's so easy. To, to kind of grow in, in bitterness or hate towards someone because of something they shared online, an opinion they have, so, an article they shared, a comment they made that you read online. It's like we can, we can grow in bitterness and in anger towards someone. But it's hard to hold on to that anger around the dinner table as someone, like, passes you the mashed potatoes and gravy. It's hard to hold on to your bitterness as you're, like, pouring someone a glass of wine or whatever it is that you're, like, it's hard to hold on to your bitterness when you're around a table. Maybe that's why Jesus gave us this practice. His strategy for changing the world was one meal at a time one dinner at a time. Over the course of three years, he took 12 men who had nothing in common, some of whom which would have hated each other at the outset. He took 12 men and he turned them into family through dinner tables, through conversation, through meals. One meal at a time, that's his strategy for changing the world. In his book, Beautiful Resistance, John Tyson tells the story of a guy named Derek Black, who was known as the heir. Derek was the son of Don Black, who was one of the most prominent white nationalists in the country, in the US. Derek was inundated with white nationalism his entire life and grew up kind of despising, resenting people of color or of different ethnicity. And while at college, someone discovered who Derek was, and they outed him on a college message board, saying, Derek Black, white supremacist, radio host, and now new college student. You can imagine the response was visceral. There were over a thousand messages on this message board, essentially saying the same thing Derek is not welcome here. Derek is not welcome at our college. His views are extreme. We don't share his views. But then someone Derek knew from his first semester had an idea. Matthew Stevenson. He, he was the only Orthodox Jewish student at the time in that college. And every Friday night, he hosted a, a Shabbat dinner, a Sabbath meal, a Friday night Sabbath dinner, where he would invite all sorts of people to kind of partake in, and get to know his culture and his tradition, uh, sharing the meal of Sabbath. And in the fall of 2011, Matthew invited Derek to join him at his meal. Here's what Tyson writes. He says, Derek, after being shunned by the whole campus, decided to go. It was the only invitation he had received since news of his identity had come out. When he arrived, the group was nervous. But week after week, Derek continued to show up. Slowly, meal by meal, month by month, his views began to change. His new friends encouraged him to explore things he had previously dismissed. He took classes he previously avoided. Slowly, his, his lens of white nationalism began to fade and a vision of shared humanity emerged. Eventually, Derek came to renounce white nationalism altogether and apologized publicly for the damage he had done. Tyson writes this, around a table on a college campus, a Jew and a white supremacist encountered a portal of possibility. An environment of welcome transformed Derek's identity, and he found a new way forward. A simple invitation for dinner can change the heart of a corrupt tax collector. A simple invitation for dinner can change the heart of a white supremacist. A simple invitation for dinner can change the lives of those around you. Sometimes we complicate hospitality because we think uh, we we complicate it so much that we we never actually get to doing it because we think we don't have the home for it, we don't have the space, I don't have the table for it, I don't have the money for it, Uh, my house isn't big enough, it's not clean enough, maybe next week, maybe next month, we kind of complicate it a little bit, it's not cozy enough, But I think one of the reasons Jesus did his ministry around dinner tables, one of the reasons he gave us this practice of hospitality, is because everyone can do it. Everyone eats food. Everyone shares meals. We all do it. Your house does not have to be spotless. It doesn't have to have a great view. Your, Your meal doesn't have to be epic and extravagant. It's not about those things. It's not about, your, it's not about the, the, the extras. It's about your presence shared with others around a table. It's about having a seat at your table for other people. Is there a seat at your table? Is there a seat at your table for others? It's about moving against the grain of culture that is becoming increasingly isolated and siloed and polarized. It's about living counterculturally, by resisting the desire to, to isolate ourselves from people who think differently, who believe differently, who live differently. Being generous with our homes is about welcoming others into our lives, around tables, just as Jesus welcomes Zacchaeus, just as Jesus welcomes us. And so as the band comes this morning and we close, let me get super, super practical. Um, I, don't know, I don't know exactly what your situation looks like. I don't know if you, you have a big home uh, with lots of rooms. Um, I don't know if you have a one-bedroom apartment. I don't know if you live with your parents still in the basement. That's fine if you do. Um, I don't know if you, you know, have a lot of resources or very few and you're living paycheck to pay- paycheck. But I am pretty sure you eat. And I'm pretty sure that there's one night in the next month one night that you could try this practice. One night that you can write on the calendar. I know life is busy. Some of you have kids and, and you know stressful jobs and all the rest. There's got to be one night that you can mark on your calendar. Maybe as you drive home this morning, you would just kind of ponder that and think about that. Where you can write dinner or like meal or invite or whatever word you want to come up with to get something on your calendar, to get generosity into your schedule, into your home, into your dinner table, to get generosity into your life. One invitation, and maybe the idea of inviting someone who thinks differently or who who is kind of hostile towards you is, is, is one step too far for you, like that's just somewhere you can't go, and that's fine. Start where you're at, not where you hope to be. Start where you're at and start with one simple, non-threatening invitation. Is there a coworker that you, you rub shoulders with? Is there, is there someone in your classroom? Is there, is there a neighbor that you're friendly with that you just have never connected with? Would you just kinda of ponder that as you drive home this morning? Just to think, is there one person that we could extend an invitation towards and just see what happens? Just see what happens. Living a generous life means having a generous home. Would you let generosity get into your schedule, into your home, into your dinner table, round your table through a simple invitation? Let me finish with a quote I love from Rosaria Champagne Butterfield. She says this, Let God use your home, apartment, dorm room, front yard, community gymnasium, or garden she, she's a gardener, I love that. A garden for the purpose of making strangers into neighbors and neighbors into family, because that is the point. Building the church and living like a family, the family of God. Would you stand with me as we pray? The image that I've had on my mind this morning is, is, is a banquet table. Jesus is at the the, the front of, he's at the head of the table. He's a generous host. There's an abundance of food. It's a feast. And there's a seat that Jesus comes over and pulls open for you and for me. There's a seat at his table for us. It's a generous God. So Father, we thank you first and foremost. God, we praise you for being generous towards us, generous with love, with forgiveness, with, with mercy, with grace. God, we need it. We need your generosity. And I pray, Lord, that for those here who feel distant, closed off, frustrated, confused, you would just shower them with your generosity this morning. It help them have an experience, an encounter with the living God. They would know your great, the depth of your generosity towards them. And I pray, God, that as we experience and encounter your generosity, you would use that to fuel us, to motivate us, to inspire us, to offer generosity in return, to open our homes and our hearts to people who need it, to live as you lived, God, to model what you model, to, to encounter people invite them in one meal at a time to see you do your work. Would you help us, Jesus, as we drive home today, as we contemplate the next month in particular, would you help us find a date to put on the calendar? Would you help us think of someone, maybe someone here in the room, a new person that we've connected with? You would help us connect with someone, God, would you help us live generously, live generous lives? We thank you for who you are and what you're doing. We praise you in Jesus' name.